0: think but not as we know it <laughs> this is
1: big Five, four, three.
0: It is 24 minutes past 4pm on Friday the 9th of September 2022 and you are listening to The Bashcast. Coming up. In this evening's Bashcast, look I haven't placed a bet since June the 22nd, well maybe a couple this week, that's before the Queen she got beckoned, that limits all the content I'm gonna be able to say. Tune into a previous episode, if you're after a big payday, all that's coming up that you're getting from me is a recap of my summer marathon Welsh camping odyssey. The Queen passes 20 years after her sister Margaret is a foisson distribution, a good fit for shops on Target. If that's not inappropriate at a time of mourning for the nation, we look if the bookie bashing site is a cause for compensation. In the betting people videos, I looked lit up in a rave so we finish with a history of scamster vegas dave there's no sport on this weekend as we end the monarch's reign so instead you'll get a story of when i abused a disabled lady on a train that line is a little bit too long i'm not gonna go back for it all of that and more why did i decide to do this coming up in the bashcast this evening You're not Eminem, bro. The Scot- You're not the Scottish Eminem. So, I'm back for three days after taking an extended period of time off for the summer holidays. The longest period of time off from gambling, I remember ever taking. And the Queen dies, which is very sad. Um, but also... We're in Operation, what is it called? Operation YouTube, your Operation, I can't remember what they called it, it's not Operation YouTube, but it's the operation where apparently everything needs to just stop. Like, all sport needs to sh- stop, pubs need to close. Why don't they just close the schools and give everybody a bank holiday and then leave the pubs open, like overnight, and we can all just go to the pubs and drink until five o'clock in the morning? If I was queen, that's what I would want. So, three and a half days in, the BMW PGA has been suspended. Is it going to restart? Nobody knows. Kitty Armour was flying for me. Zanotti was flying for me. So, I'm a little bit frustrated with that. Um, the premiership's off. I mean, I was really ready to get back into it. And everything is just, I mean, of course, the queen has died as well, which I'm genuinely very sad about I fall into the camp of I'm not a monarchist. I'm not an anti-monarchist, although I do think it's a little bit silly that these people are born into the positions that they're in and seem to represent very little about modern society and modern culture, and it's a product of a bygone era. At the same time, that's not their fault, and they're human beings, and it's very sad when an old lady or anybody passes away and i think you really show your true colors if you um uh, take pleasure um out of anyone really dying so um um that's where i stand with the whole thing more more m- more so kind of annoyed that everything has come to a stop racing football golf i i i could a lot of us could have mourned the queen Whilst these events went on, what better way of mourning the Queen than spending the entire day watching the golf and then going to the pub until 5am? Anyway, what a long time that was. I had the longest period of time off work and off gambling that I ever remember. Really, it was on purpose. I was kind of focused on the kids' school holiday of June the 22nd was the big day um and then what my plan was then was to, as much as i could to withdraw my balances to zero to shut the laptop off to not think about it i mean it, it even for positive expectation advantage players just grinding and gambling and risk all day every day does start to just get a little bit samey you can you certainly don't have as much drive and impetus as if you have a break and so i thought well that's it i'm having this summer off i mean we spent so many years working at bookie bash in the first few years were getting up at four in the morning to get all the data prepared before anyone else was awake so that the morning data was available and we never had the tools back in those days to monitor the data as it shifted over the day so it was kind of right and then got wronger over time that was those days and then When we did have the tools in place, it was really a kind of Tuesday to Sunday job because it was always on, because there's always stuff happening. And so it was six days a week for a long time. And then I was just like, right, let's just make sure that there are people in place that that, that can do the job, that have the tools, that have the experience, that have the knowledge. BB team, they're a great group. There's three of them now. And they're all very competent and very knowledgeable. and they could pick up things like the golf equity graph and stuff like that. And so yeah, I, I just was like, I can do this. I mean, twenty second of June, um, I signed off, and then what? What was Monday, the fifth of September? So that was seven weeks, the better part of seven weeks. Um, and yeah, I, I don't really need to talk about it because I loved it so much. And then, like, how interested? This is the equivalent of going round to someone's house and seeing their holiday photos. Like, unless it was rubbish, you don't want to hear about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> no one needs to hear that you had lots of fun on your holiday. Um regards went down. So I'll try and cherry pick the things that went wrong and the, the bad things in a very brief summary before we get to any of the gambling stuff, of which I don't have much to talk about because I've only been looking at it for three days in the last seven weeks, and now the Queen's dead. So what am I... I mean, I've got no... Win or profit or lost things. There's a few. I haven't even sort of my runners were, you know, keeping us topped up with golf, which I suspect roughly, without looking at the numbers, was about break even. I know the options that that D- Duncan had been doing since the 22nd of June started off in a flyer and then tailed off and finished off at about net zero, um, which is much better than the previous times he's done. Um, but it's all from the same tracker. I'm just jesting against Duncan there. Um, so there's that there's um um the coupons looked good but i haven't counted them all up i'm pretty sure football coupons have been up in that period of time a couple of fairly decent wins and will when i've actually looked at it probably in the next episode i'll sort of review those but other than that i mean what have i got to talk about i've got nothing to talk about so i can't talk about the fun time i had on my holiday because no one wants to hear about it and it just was all fun So that's bad. (laughs) I mean, this is how much fun it was. One, I've never been this tanned in my entire life, and I've still got the tan, um, because over 50% of the days we were just outside all the time because there was a lot of camping, and the weather this summer was just outrageous, wasn't it? And secondly, I couldn't do the Bashcast on Tuesday because I was slurring my words, and I was slurring my words because I... Here's what happens. If you take a normal human being... Maybe it doesn't happen if you take a normal human being. If you take me and you give me nothing to do, and you put me around friends for the better part of 50 days, I'm going to turn into one of those alcoholics. And that's exactly what I achieved, and I achieved it with outrageous success. I reckon 50 days of the school holidays, 45 of them involved alcohol, and the five that didn't, at least three of them were hangover related. So um, by the time I got to last Monday, I did feel like I'd slowed down, really genuinely felt like I'd slowed down. I mean, I put on about a stone and a half, which was always the plan. So that's not a problem. That, by the way, just drinking for 45 out of 50 days and then stopping drinking, will see the majority of that disappear, even without a restriction in diet, right? So, but I was not just bloated and a little bit heavier, but I I was slower. I couldn't, grasp the words when i was out with and i noticed it not nothing that you worry about because you know why it's happening it's happened because you're a full-on alky but it's just interesting how poisonous alcohol is to your system caveat asterisk but also loads and loads and loads of fun when you're away with your mates for 50 days of the holidays so
1: um
0: i had to wait until now for that reason the holidays were mostly sort of A four-part breakdown. Started off with a stag dude down in Bristol. I played the Selly Oak Shield, which I've won for the second time in a row. Um, um, So much easier to win Stableford competitions when you have a high handicap than a low handicap because it's difficult for the low handicap guys to score, and I'm playing out of my skin in these competitions. So won that. Went to Bristol to the Wave for some surfing, which was great fun. Uh, If you've not tried it, get yourself down to the Wave went out in Bristol for a few drinks and dinner. Went back to the hotel, and I realize I'm not suited to modern life because on the way back to the hotel, we had had a few more drinks, and I was a bit peckish. I said, I'm just going to tail off the group and get some chips, right? So I tail off the group. I go and find the fish and chip shop. As I find the fish and chip shop, my phone would dies, and my phone has the map back to the hotel, uh, and I don't recall the name of the hotel. I hadn't searched for it. I just clicked the link that my buddy sent sent me. Um, and my watch has died as well. So I've got no means of communication, no Apple Watch, no phone. And I don't know the name of the hotel. So I get the chips and I'm like, it's half 12 at night. If I just wander, I'll find an, a recognizable street that we drove in on and I'll be able to get to the hotel. And I must've been walking for two hours. So it's now 2.30 in the morning in Bristol. I'm slightly concerned. I'm going to be spending the night the night on the streets of Bristol with the homeless people because I must have wandered further and further away from the hotel that I'm at and in a sort of drunken state I had to stop and sort of close my eyes and go focus you've got to come up with the name of the hotel otherwise you're sleeping with the homeless and I, I sort of found the name of the hotel from the back of my memory and I went up to a taxi and I said, mate, can you take me to this hotel? And the taxi driver says, no, I can't because you have to you have to book it online or via the telephone. That's how the law works these days. And I was like, my, please, because my phone's dead. And I got a £20 note out of my wallet and I just handed it to him. And I went, can you not just take me? And he said, well, it's only two streets in that direction pointing in the forward direction. But I'd been wandering around this area for so long and I was really frustrated and tired. And I was like, please just take me there. And you can keep the twenty pound note. And so he drove for sixty seconds. We found the street that I was on. He dropped me outside of the hotel. That cost me twenty quid. Um, uh, and that was my um, Bristolian stag do. From there, picked the kids up and went up to Nevin, the Nevin Peninsula, which is on the north side, uh, the north, never each other beach, the northwest peninsula of Wales. Um, and we camped up there for a week up by the beach just with some friends and it was just a gloriously beautiful place. If you've never been to Nevin, there's like a lost village there which is like an old mining quarry and as you drive down, it feels like you'd... A hundred years ago, they've cut into the landscape so it's the most extraordinary landscape there now. It feels like you're driving through Sicily. It's um, amazing. Uh, We used to go there when we were students 20 years ago so it's weird to sort of go back there 20 years afterwards with the kids and everything like that um that was around about the same time that all the um the what's it called the star sports betting people interviews were coming out and then i did some follow-up questions and that which incidentally i have seen and i've seen what i was doing with my hands and like i'm a little bit like i can't uh I don't know how, why I was so hyped up and trying to bring energy to it, but my hands are all over the place. There's some comments underneath that video that I'm blasted on cocaine, which of course I wasn't because I'm in the house having just put the kids to bed. But I certainly understand why people might think that. Somebody said I was lit up more than a Christmas tree. <laughs> but um, they they were all coming through at that time. And there was a lot of feedback information coming to me from various... Um, social media plans and i don't use social media a lot because i'm a grown adult man and a lot of facebook is just people sort of make doesn't it feel like they're just sort of crying out that you have to give them attention for the thing that they've done i can sort of forgive it when it's photographs of kids because you want to share that with your family but now i've got whatsapp groups with my family so if there's a nice photograph of my kids i'll just send the photographs straight to my family. I don't need to put them on Facebook. So, um, but some weirdo after the um after the Star Sports interview, um had a fake account on Facebook and then came on to pictures of my five year old daughter that were on my because I hadn't locked down my social medias. And he started calling me a paedophile on pictures of my five year old daughter. A random, strange, anonymous man posted on pictures of my 5-year-old daughter calling me a pedophile which was you you're meant to just dismiss these things and do, I mean first of all I locked everything down after that so um nobody can access well my facebook's gone and instagram and stuff only people that I know or give permission to can see pictures of my kids which I should have done ages ago but I just didn't bother what a weird thing for that person to do like Imagine being in his head and in his life. You just... He must be... Well, he he's damaged. He's damaged goods. Um, you wouldn't want to be him. Um, I, I can't say that it didn't all unaffect me, you know? Um, there were little bits that were so stupid. I found them funny. The guy who created a fake account to call me a fraud and a fake. Like... I'm using my own name and he's created a fake account. That's laugh. You can dismiss that stuff because it's just stupid. But the stuff of my daughter was a bit concerning that these people exist. And it was it was actually, it wasn't even the trolling. It's not the trolling that gets you. It's the people that are giving you honest feedback that gets to you. So I'll give you an example. I'm, I spent the day, the best day ever. We woke up with bacon and eggs by the tents. The sun's out, all my friends are in this field. There's like 40 kids under the age of 10. And I'm there with my son and my daughter. My wife's not there. She's at work. But my son and my daughter get to wake up and they get to run around the field there, six years old and three years old. And he's got this dragon onesie. And they just they just love all this energy and other children around. And then uh, um, after breakfast, we walk down to the beach and there's these crazy waves crashing over the rocks and we all dived into the ocean in our wetsuits just to wake up and then um back up to the tents pack everything up i've got this paddle board now um that we can go out and everyone went down to the beach in nevin which has got its own microclimate because the cliffs kind of shelter it so it might be five or ten degrees warmer down on the beach than it is up in the in the fields and it was on the campsite and it was warm enough on the campsite and we got down there and spent the entire day with my skimboard in the water. And the guy's got the paddle boards and the surfboards and there's this big long um sort of concrete basin that you can run and jump a long way into the water to and do backflips and things like that. Well, I wasn't doing any backflips but my friend Jenny was there um and she's doing the backflips and she has um, a bronze or silver an Olymp- a- a medal in the Olympics in snowboarding. Um, she was the first Brit ever to get uh, um Olympic medal in the Winter Olympics. And so she's an ex-gymnast and she's showing everybody, you know, you can stand up here, not only can you dive in. You can do the double somersault or the triple somersault and hang around with all of these really, really nice, affectionate, un-arrogant people and um who have had a lot of success but are just the nicest people and wouldn't tell you about it if, you know, um, uh, you didn't know. You know what I mean? And then I get back to the beach and I have uh, a direct message um, and the direct message... Well, the, it was a public message, the first one. It was a, an astounding display of arrogance. This is underneath one of the... Um, one of the star sports videos, Q and A's when Tom boldly claims that he's convinced the entire industry and an exchange not to offer a market so that him and his cohorts can make more money. And then I had a direct message from this chap who said, "Um, all I want to say to you is how awkward and arrogant you come across. Now, that was a weird juxtaposition of the day, there's one thing I've learned about people who are arrogant. They, they tend to be the people that get very far in industry. The narcissists, somebody who gets to CEO level in industry, tends to be the kind of person that wants to work eighty hours a week. Will happily not have friends and family in the chase for business success. I mean, uh, think of like American Psycho, Bateman. Um, you know what I mean. Um, uh, they're just born like that. They're driven like that. Now, I wanted to escape that because I saw it all around me and I wasn't interested. If you go back in time, you think about the sports teams you're associated with.
1: 90%
0: of people are great, but then you get the one in 10 from the rugby team or the football team or the hockey team or whatever that just is an asshole, an arrogant asshole. And having been exposed to enough people like this over my time, not only did I know that I wasn't like these people, but I made every effort to not come across as arrogant. I wanted to come across as approachable and friendly. And you, what you do is you mimic and learn from the people that you admire, such as Jen, who I was away camping with, such as the people that really sort of promote themselves very well um, to the people around them. And so, that, you know, when people say to me, what is it that you goal? what's your objective? What are you going to? What is the movement? It's like, well, I'm just, I'm just doing the summer holiday that I have no forward momentum. I just want to be present and I want to be happy and I want those around me to be. And when we were all of us, the kids and the adults jumping off this jetty and on the paddle boards and on the skim boards, this day... It felt like it was just like the whole world was a really, really nice place. We'd all forgotten about inflation rates and cost of living and energy prices and everything like that. It was all about, you know, jumping into the water, hearing the kids scream with laughter, hearing the teenagers scream with laughter, getting back to the sand, opening a beer, and then finding that someone's taken their time out of their day to tell you that they find you extremely arrogant and awkward. Those two words combined. I mean, I think everyone... Feels a sense of awkwardness, and some people shy away from it a little bit more. It's almost like if you feel awkward, how quickly can you put it away and lock it under key? And for me, I sort of learned the lesson that as long as everything that you do is from a good place, then you shouldn't look back and question your motives. Did you come across as awkward? That doesn't help the argument. Maybe you can learn to improve, but don't think negatively about it. It's the same way as don't really have any regrets. You know, you might have done things wrong in the past. Have you learned from them and moved on? And are your motives in the present all good? Well, if they're all, everything is based on good motives and good things, then you don't need to worry about the awkwardness from the past or the present. That's kind of how I have learned to live my man. It's like, live my life. It's a lot easier when you're a 44, 45-year-old man to say this than maybe when you're 20, 21, 22. I wish I could tell my 20, 21-year-old, 22-year-old self these lessons. But I guess are the kind of thing lessons that you do learn over time. Some people do, some people don't. But then you get back and you, someone literally reaches out and tells you how awkward you are and how arrogant you are. And it does make you sort of second guess. Have I actually got the same um, opinion of myself that everyone else does or have I massively got all of this wrong? Um, I shouldn't again I shouldn't have left the messages on I mean they flashed up on my screen when I picked my phone up and managed to get some 3g but what a weird juxtaposition that was at that moment um, from getting back from the the beach with all those good people around me to then reading all of that stuff to like okay I've just got to forget about it because I think it's him at least I hope it's him all I can do is do my best so we all went back to the tents. I Got the pizza oven on and made the made the best pizza in the world for absolutely everybody. So that was the first one. Oh, the second one as well, which um somebody had um brought up during the summer. I am going to do some like um feedback thing at the end of this where I'm going to pick the legitimate feedback and sort of go through it. But something somebody said said was um um I've had unprompted messages from within and outside private Bucky bashing communities suggesting you guys have given up and are just cashing in. Before it all dies. Uh, and by that, he means two different things, or she, I don't know. Um, they mean, first of all, that uh, we hadn't been paying the necessarily requisite attention. And second of all, that the numbers seem to be out of control because there are new names and faces on the forums. And, and first of all, the requisite attention. I mean, this was a, a few of the shots on target headline boosts had lost. And um, I'm very confident in the model and the numbers, but um, I, I didn't have access to a computer to provide any of this. And so I'd sort of suggested, can we just wait until September and we can look at it then? This was in, uh, the beginning of August. And then secondly, um, uh, so that's why you, you know we're not around and therefore apparently we've given up. We haven't given up. We were just taking the summer off, taking six weeks off the summer when I've been doing six days a week for the last infinity years. And then secondly... Um, cashing in and because because it's dying because growth is so much. Yeah, it's just huge. What is never apparent is our, you see a lot of new names on Discord which are a combination of people that have changed their name, which a lot of people do because they say something stupid and then they want to change their name, and new subscribers. And what you don't see is cancellations. And so you see a load of new people and you forget that people have left. How big did bookie bashing grow in August, which is the beginning of the football season, and also off the back of our Star Sports interview? Single figures. Single-digit figures. Um, so anyone that goes on... Yeah, I think it, it, it just it's putting one and one together and getting three. It's thinking that we're, we've given up and we're cashing in. Well, for starters, there's nothing to cash in. I mean, single-figure increase... So it was about 64 people joined, 55 people cancelled. So net plus nine. So you're looking at about 810 extra pounds in extra revenue when we've got a five-figure salary bill to contend with. And you know what I mean? It just, it, how how much did I take home from that necessarily increase after all is said and done? It's taken away less than 100 pounds extra, right? So that's how much I'm cashing in in the month of August, less than 100 pounds personally. Right. And secondly, in terms of like um, we weren't looking at things Yeah, we did take a little bit of time off. But also. If we don't do that, we're just going to burn out and uh, and, uh, and it's going to be worse. Uh, and what we it encouraged us to get things in place where we had a lot of very stable uptime, where we had a lot of good coverage all the way through June to the end of August. And perhaps there may be something where something disappears, like a William Hill feed disappears from the tracker, and instead of taking 30 minutes to fix, it's taken two hours. But we'll come to that. We'll come to um, expectations around the reliability of the site, because it's an extremely complicated thing, as we've added and added and added, to keep all of this current 24-7, 365. Doesn't mean that we can't always achieve trying, prioritise making it better, but it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Anyway, so these two things were said, Um, whilst out in Nevin, and I was just like, it's not, (sighs) hopefully things, hopefully we'll see a marked improvement to our availability moving forward, and that can be put to bed. So from Nevin, went down to Pembrokeshire, saw a different group of people down in Pembrokeshire. Uh, The sun came out so blisteringly hot. Um, It was suntan lotion every day for 10 days down there. By the way, that's a long drive, Nevin, to Pembrokeshire. That's four hours from Wales to Wales. Could be, I reckon, the longest point-to-point journey in Wales, possibly. Um, and then we were down there, spent a lot of time with the kids on the paddleboard, um, got really sunburned, got a big tan, drank a lot, had a lot of barbecues, hung around with friends, um, uh, and it was just great fun down there. And then after being on the road intense for like 25 days... It was sad to come home and actually live in a house. Um, but then we did a series of... so um, Went to see Les Miserables with my daughter. We Went to music festivals where we saw Basement Jacks um, and James. I saw Pete from SBC tweet out the other day, that is there a bigger one-hit wonder band than James? Mate, you are wrong. For starters, I could list you five or six absolute bangers. But more importantly, they were on for about two and a half hours on the Sunday night. And me and my little four-year-old son just danced and danced and danced and danced to all the tunes, and it was really good. It was um, good vibes up there. The only thing is, sometimes modern festivals, people have started doing that thing that idiots do when they think they're going on holiday and having fun—British idiots anyway and German idiots—which is how much f- have you ever gone to like a foreign hotel and then got up early to put a uh, to put a towel in the sun lounge? I've never done that. And I, I don't think I'd ever want to do that. It's it's There's just something cheesy about it. There's also something a bit of non-sharing. It's like, come on, guys. It's like, don't reserve something and then don't use it. It's like, if someone gets there and you haven't reserved it in time, then give it to them. And then if you get there and there isn't a sun lounger, well, go and do something else. I mean, sitting by the pool isn't the most important thing to your entire day, is it? You know? So... Um, There's a little bit of that, that at music festivals, people take these chairs, these city-down chairs, and they come and plonk them down, which does two things. If they're there, they're not dancing. And if they're not there, then they've reserved an area which is just empty of people, and so sucking the atmosphere out of it a little bit. So I don't like that. So I'm thinking next year I'm going to start my own festival, but I'm going to ban people from taking chairs into the central arena. We saw Star Sailor... Delimitri, I didn't know. I was a fan of Delamitri until after that festival. I'd known them for 20 years. Um, the one that everyone raved about, but I didn't see, but that I'm going to see next week in Birmingham off the recommendations of everyone else is Elvana. Elvana is this Geordie guy who pretends to be Elvis doing covers of Nirvana, Elvana. Now, if that's not the greatest concept for a band you've ever heard in your entire life, I don't know what is. And I've been watching videos of him. Everyone, all my pals were up at the other stage, but I was... I don't even know what I was watching, but whatever it was, it couldn't have been as good as Elvis fronting a Nirvana cover band, surely. So I'll report back on that next week. But that was essentially my summer. Um, the one big annoyance I had was when we did a day out to Ledbury. And... We were on the train, and talking about people not being courteous and not being considerate, I don't take the train a lot, but is it common that people just hide from the inspector in the toilets and just lock the door and never come out? Now, I don't know how common this is because I don't take lots of trains, but we'd been in Ledbury. We'd had a few lunchtime drinks. We're coming back. My friend's um, eight-year-old boy needs to go to the toilet, and I need to go to the toilet, so I say I'll take him. So we go down two carriages and the door's locked so we wait and we wait and we wait and we stop at a stop and we wait and we wait and we wait and we stop at the next stop and the conductor goes by and I say you know we've been waiting two stops and this person hasn't come out so what does that mean does that mean that they're in there dodging the fare and the conductor said could be so what will happen is that next time I walk by if you're still here I've got a magic button that will open the door I like, yeah, that'll get him. You should do it now, but okay. So she went on her way. The conductor went on her way. And I was getting annoyed because I needed the toilet. And my friend's boy needed the toilet. And so I said to him, knock on the door really ho- loudly and tell them to hurry up. Because I've got no sympathy for the person inside here whatsoever. Um, they're just, they're do- one, they're dodging fares and making public transport more expensive for the rest of us. But secondly... There's little children that need the toilet and there's a 45-year-old man that's had some wine at lunchtime who needs the toilet. And it's just inconsiderate to people. So just get out. So I didn't really care. So I got the boy to knock on the door, shout very loudly, get out. Didn't help. Conductor comes back up the train and so I say to her, look, there's, they're still in there dodging the bloody fare. And so she says, okay, I've got the, my magic conductor button. So she opens a panel or something and as she does this, she doesn't actually need to do anything because the person that's hiding actually gives themselves up and the door starts to open. And the door opens and then a very elderly woman in a wheelchair gets wheeled out by her carer. I mean, come on! I li- I couldn't look at them. I couldn't do anything. I literally, One, it was the boy, not me. We all understand this. We all know this, right? It was the eight-year-old boy. I just turned around and faced the window and stared outside of it, not looking or talking to anyone until they'd gone because I couldn't handle the embarrassment. So, right, let's see if we can actually get on to some gambling chat. Ah! So I would say a fairly high portion of um, people that sort of sign up for a short period of time bookie bashing and then cancel. What they do is they um, they know about the horse racing because that's a fairly significant edge that we have. I mean, look, there's an edge in golf, but there's two golf tournaments a week. So you have to be very patient in golf. Um, uh, if you can be patient, you'll have a 40% roi over years but there can be a year that you're down because you're looking at less than 100 tournaments over that year whereas you can get 100 horse races in a weekend um and in that weekend you can get through the variance so it's it's sort of the same model but just completely different spans and the roi of horse racing is about five percent I'm sorry to harp on about weird people getting to me whilst I was away, but that was one more thing. Um, somebody had a weird, had a problem with um, the ROI of horse racing being five percent. And I think when you say stupid things, and it shows, it really shows your colours. Um, this was two people. One was on the YouTube channel of Star Sports, and one was on the bookie bashing Facebook channel. Um, from two different people. But they both said the same thing along the lines of, um, "Are you only making five percent return on investment on horses?" Um, the guy on Facebook said, um, "My tipsters," as if he was some sort of, you know, overseer of tipsters. My tipsters have a minimum of forty percent return on investment on horses. So that's what that guy said, and then the guy on YouTube who I was trying to talk to, but he was deleting all of my answers in the replies because you can control your replies on YouTube. And if someone says something on a comment to your comment that you don't like, you can delete it. And that's what he was doing. And I was trying to be reasonable. And he was saying um, uh, 5% um, ROI on horses isn't worth the time. Now, these, no, this is singles with no filtering. Okay, so this is just taking all horses, at any odds, at any EV. In singles, you're getting 5%. And he said, um, that's not worth the time. It would take way too long to make any money. You're better off putting your money into stocks and shares or cryptocurrency. So these two people show themselves up for their lack of knowledge, their lack of um, experience in professional gambling for two different reasons. So the first guy says, my tipsters have a minimum ROI of 40%. If a horse racing tipster tells you that he has a minimum return on investment of 40%, he is doing one of three things. One, he's being selective with his results. Two, he's got an extremely small sample size. Or three, he's lying. And those are the only options. Some of the greatest horse racing tipsters out there, and there are a few. You have the Quentin Franks, you have Neil Channing. You guys that really know what they're doing. Neil, Neil Channing over Betting Emporium, some of the most successful and knowledgeable horse racing people, they're running to a long term of about 5% ROI, right? With, um, you know, with selective horses, maybe three, four horses per race in big festivals only. Um, and it's very decent that they can do that. But they're not at 40% ROI. Nobody's at 40% ROI at a large scale. So that, I mean, all he had to say to that guy is show me anyone that's done that with sort of publicly available, transparent, audited results. And, you know, you've you've found somebody that nobody has ever, ever achieved this level of success before. So, but he, you know, he could have said, he could have said 10% or 20%. And maybe you could think at the back of your mind, wow, are there people out there that are really changing the game? But because he went like 40%, you just know he's full of shit. (laughs) Um, So that's the first first one. The second guy, I love it when people think that you can just put your money in stocks and shares or cryptocurrency and you can just make money. Like the Crypto Bros, the, the tanking of cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is a supply and demand issue. And there are less people wanting to invest into it these days. And so the money, the price is going down. But when a lot of people want to invest in it and there is a scarcity of the resource and the price tends to go up. So the crypto bros benefit from getting people to invest in cryptocurrency that didn't before or getting current investors to invest more. Without that, their stock can't go on and their holds can't go on. I uh, can't go up. So cryptocurrency, that's all it is. It's a supply and demand game. You can't just put your money into cryptocurrency and make 5% and wait to make 5%. You nor I have any idea if any cryptocurrency is about to go up or down. Nobody does. Because you have to project and predict what the market's going to do. And you simply can't do that with any accuracy with this anonymous cur- currency. And stocks and shares? I mean, you see the experts saying a couple of years ago, go safe, put your money into Domino's, Netflix, these things where the price just cannot go down. And they just all tanked through the coronavirus and now the cost of living. You know what I mean? So even the experts are losing money. So for anyone that goes 5% ROI over 50,000 horses is rubbish, you might as well just put it into stocks and shares. Again, you've just shown yourself up. So One of the things that people do is they sign up and they know about the edge in horse racing and um, they open up the horse racing tracker and they place loads of lucky 15s on horses. And that's a very decent return on investment with high volume. uh, And then they're not applying any filters to Irish horse racing and they're not spreading themselves around. They end up getting restricted. And the other edges take, probably a little bit more work. Even golf, which is high ROI, it requires patience. But then you've got things like um, um, the bet tracker, which is full of boosts that you'll get restricted on if you bet on, but you can maybe manipulate at the exchange. But again, this takes time, effort, understanding. And we've got a series of tools, all of which you're not going to be told where the odds are. You have to learn and use yourself, and it's like self-promotion. And quite frankly, not a lot of people are into self-promotion. They want to go in, hit the horse racing, they're getting restricted, and then they leave. So, okay, so they come and go. Um, and Those that stay benefit from really spreading themselves around a lot of different edges. And one of the edges, um, which um, I would say accounts for less than... 1% 1% of the content that we have at Bookie Bashing is a model that we put together. As a lot of our models we put together just to complete the William Hill Great Sports offers a years ago, where a few years ago when they were still live in the shops and they were saying so-and-so would get so many shots on target is now three to one. So we needed a way of estimating how many shots and target someone would have. And there's no exchange market, at least there wasn't back then. And so a reasonable methodology that we came up with is that if a bookmaker like betfair sportsbook or paddy power just offer the over um then they could be offering any price whatsoever if they offer the over and the under then we have a range with which we can work out what the expected shots on target was that was used to create um that price and so we we learn over time that there are really only two trading teams out there. As there are with Player XG, there is Bet365 and there is everyone else, if you like. And um we use Unibet and Bet365 and we take the players in there and we um look at the over under lines that they're using and we apply a margin with no bias on either side to return a one hundred percent market. Now that changed over time. At the beginning when we did that, people were telling us that all the bias was on the over. And so we applied it to the over, sort of being pessimistic. And then we were told that all the bias was on the under. So we took that feedback and went on the under. And then we decided we were going to go in the midpoint because we couldn't see any justification for using either the over or the under to apply the bias to. We're going to use the midpoint. So using the over line and over probability in a 100% market, no bias. and a reverse Poisson distribution, we could calculate the expected shots and target used by the trading teams. We've, by the way, we've been asked more than once what is the equation for a reverse Poisson distribution. Poisson doesn't have a natural inverse function, so it's something we've had to build through iterations of code. You could do the same thing. If you project on Excel, you can project forward from zero um, and with your, and you can put a load of different means in, and then you can get the odds of 1 plus out, and just build the library up. And then if you use a VLOOKUP function, you could go backwards. You can create your own reverse Poisson model just with a lookup library in Excel. Uh, and then we have a live tool that monitors the lines to see when anyone gets cut, and we identify any uh, outliers and address those to project shots on target forward to multiple Shots on Target using a normal Poisson distribution. Now, let's just step back a little bit here. What we do know, we've got a little bit of knowledge. We've spoken to some odds compilers in the industry. How player XG and Shots on Target kind of gets modeled in-house is that what you have is you start off with a team Shots on Target or a team uh, XG. So let's say, well, let's work with... XG. Let's say we know that Manchester United have an XG of 1.5. Now they've got 11 players on the pitch, and some subs. And so what you do is you assign some of that XG to each position on the pitch. So maybe the two forwards both get, you know, 0.4 XG each. You're left with 0.7 XG for the rest of the team. You could split that, you know, if they play a 3-4-2 You would split that in a certain way. If they play a 4-4-2, if they play a 4-4-1-1, it gets split. And so it's almost like the formation that they play gets assigned XG as a percentage relative to the XG of the team, right? Then what you do, and some for the defenders, it is getting a little bit more confusing now that we've got five defenders. uh, Sorry, not defenders, substitutes. It's getting a little bit more confusing now that we get five substitutes in the premiership. Not confusing, but you have to redistribute your models, right? And you've got less heuristic data, or empirical data, sorry, to work from. So you've assigned XG to positions on a pitch, and then you go, right, Ronaldo's starting here. And Ronaldo, when he plays, has a supremacy or a weakness rating that is 20% more than the average player that would fill that position. So whilst we said the position was going to get 40% of the XG of the team, because it's Ronaldo, it's now going to be... or 38% or whatever. So certain players are weak, like Virgil van Dijk, his position, few players are going to get goals in that centre-back position, but Virgil van Dijk gets headers. And so he will start off maybe getting 3% of the team's XG and then that'll be boosted up to 10% of the team's XG just because it's Virgil van Dijk. And then you have to redistribute XG elsewhere in the team so that the XG of the sum of the team plus the substitutes equals the XG of the team. Right, the XG of all the players has to equal the XG of the team. Same thing with shots on target. So we start with an expected shots. Well, the trading teams start with an expected shots on target for the team. Say five point five six shots on target for the team, and then every position within the team gets assigned shots on target, uh, uh, depending on the formation. Three four one, five four one, four four two, whatever it is. Three four one would really be a bit of a weak formation of two goalkeepers anyway um so you sign the probability that the position's going to get shots on target and then you fill that with your players and then the players have certain strength and weakness characteristics and they get bumped up the percentage shots on target based on that and then you have an expected shots on target for each player and you use a poisson distribution to model forward from zero to one to two to three to four now we've done this since the start Shots on target are um, uh, an area where, when you look at the ROI, the results, they're probably the least performing return on investment. For a long time, they were negative. Um, And at the beginning of this season, now I wasn't watching, so I don't have the exact examples, but what we know is that Skybet liked to put up the headline shots on target of something like Salah's going to get um, one shot on target in this game And that would be 1 to 5, usually. And now they're boosting it to evens. So they've gone from 1.2 to evens. So people will go on the exchange and they will find that there is an imbalance of backers and layers. The arbitrage players are holding the price up and they can get maybe a 1.4 or a 1.5. And then they've got to bet Kelly on that. And Kelly will be saying a huge EV, so it's going to be going big stakes. And it's going to be going big stakes and odds on at the same time. You might be putting down a thousand pounds to win 500. So you're doing big stakes, big Kelly, big EV, low odds. And as I understand it, the first two or three of the season lost, um, which is going to hurt, especially when the fair odds should be like, you know, 1.2 or 1.3 or something like that. It just shouldn't, if it's 1.3, it's a three to one chance that's going to lose. It should only lose three times in a row, once every 27 times really annoying for anyone on them. We had a lot of um, discussion on our forum that the fair odds that we were reporting, and therefore the EV that we're reporting, were wrong. And in fact, these were negative EV bets. Now, we've done some analytics. It's taken me until now, because I've been on a beach and I didn't have my laptop, on the Shots on Target. And one of the things about the Shots on Target tool is that it really is less than 1% of the content at bookie bashing and it's something that we were running in the background for a long time but was never live and we sort of made it live as a courtesy so like, this could be useful to you we spent maybe 2 3000 pounds over time sort of getting the code right and getting all the scrapers working and then managing and maintaining them and then it, it, it takes a little bit of management and we put it live but it, it's it's really not a big thing so like the horse racing's big and golf's big and some other things are big but the shots on target all it's, it's kind of nothing it's kind of like what we were using in the background and if you want to use it great and if you don't don't but people were using them and they were saying that it was wrong and um it was really sort of the main thing that was negative feedback about bookie bashing especially through the summer and i was getting to the point where i was like well i understand it and i trust the maths but we could just turn this off because that would be the easier solution because it's the easier solution. People, I'm sure it's just variance, but I couldn't study it. And I understand the maths and the methodology, but I can't persuade people that it's right. So what's what's the point of putting it live? And I had a long discussion with Duncan just before I went away. So should we just turn this off? Should we turn it off and never turn it back on again? Or should we turn it off and then um, do some mathematics and see if we can persuade people that it's right? Um... Duncan just said, look, keep it up. If people are looking at a sample size, that sample size is not going to change that much between August and the middle of September when we can look at it, right? So there are really three things to look at here. One, is a Poisson distribution a good fit for shots on target? Two, is the methodology of using the under-over line to work out the expected mean um, sufficient? And three, what's going on with the ROI of historical bets at bookie bashing. So let's start off with number one. Is a Poisson distribution a good fit for shots on target? How can we tell? We don't have a lot of data to go off, especially when you look at the last few matches. That's not a sample size. No one can look at the six matches that Liverpool have had this season to work out if shots on target are following a particular model or not. But what we can do is we can take someone that's been at the same team for five seasons and start looking at them, especially if they have a large sample size. Step forward, Mohamed Salah, um, who has had, in seventeen eighteen through to 21-22, played between 34 and 38 games per season and got between 46 and 65 shots on target. A huge number, right? He had... 275 shots on target in 180 English Premier League games. You can see the exact shots on target from every game from a data set that we have on Bookie Bashing. Go to latest news. It's open to everyone, by the way, and you don't even have to be a member. Go to latest news. Go to shots on target and Person, And in that blog, there is a link to all of Mo Salah's um, 180 games and his 275 shots on target that he had throughout those games so that's an average of 1.527 a game which is just like a really huge number Mo Salah um, has the same chance of getting zero shots on target in a game as he does getting four shots on target in a game so his shots on target per game has ranged from 1.81 in 1718 to 1.24 in 2021 right so he's always above one nearly two and with that we've used poisson to project forward what his odds would be so a normal poisson distribution using a mean the mean in the graph that i've used is 1.527 and that gives a probability of 22% that he'll get zero goals how many ti- sorry zero shots on target how many times did he get zero shots on target since 1718 exactly 22% what about exactly one or, so, not exactly. What about one shots to target or more? Poisson would say that would happen 78% of the time. The recorded number was 78% of the time. What about two plus? Poisson would say 45% of the time. The recorded number was 45% of the time. What about three plus? Poisson would say 20% of the time. He actually did it 21% of the time, but still pretty close, right? What about four plus? Poisson would say 7% of the time. It happened 7% of the time. What about 5 plus? Poisson would say 2% of the time it happened 2% of the time. So Poisson has got exactly the same percentage figure there, to two significant figures, for every shots on target except for 3+, and that was the difference of Poisson said 20%, and the recorded was 21%. It's almost an identical fit. It's So the Poisson doesn't look like a problem, not for someone like... Mohammed Salah. That normal distribution really works. The same question applied to goals may be slightly a different conversation due to dominance and hat tricks, but we're going to have that conversation another day. What I'm happy with is that I'm happy that Poisson is a good distribution for shots on target. I've discussed it with industry odds compilers. They've said the same thing. And I've done a backwards review of the distribution that bookmakers that offer multiple shots on target for the same, play, t- same player, what they use. what Meaning that if a bookmaker offers zero for Mozilla and one and two and three, you can go in and sort of reverse engineer what mean they've used to come up with those odds. And you see that they're using a Poisson distribution themselves. So we've got three things here. We've got um, odds compilers telling us that they do. We've got the bookmaker's odds look like they do. And historical data on a, on the largest sample size of a player that we currently have, matches almost exactly. So I'm happy with the Poisson distribution being a good fit. What about is the over-under a good methodology? Well, quite frankly, right, somewhere in the range of... If you take the over and the under, because there's a margin to be applied, right, so they'll be pricing up to maybe 80, I don't know, I don't know 108%, 107%. So that 7% overround is their profit, and it needs to be redistributed on the over and the under. You could redistribute that 7% equally, which when they're near evens, sounds fair. Or you could say they want to make more profit from people betting the overs, and so they'll apply more margin to the overs. Or you could argue that they want to make profit off for shops betting the unders, so they'll apply yeah, there's that old thing that only shops but unders, so they'll apply more margin to the unders. And we've gone through both iterations at the beginning of the life cycle of the shots on target model before settling on the midpoint, saying there's no justification to assume that bookmakers are applying more margin to either the over or the under. So is that is that um methodology sound Well, here's a fact. It's somewhere in that range, because if it's not in that range, it means that either the over or the unders plus EV, right? So that's the first statement. Either bookmakers are deliberately offering plus EV bets or the expected shots at targets is somewhere in the range of their over-under odds with a margin applied. Now, if it's somewhere in the over-under odds with the margin applied, which, by the way, I feel like it has to be, otherwise they're just getting killed by sharps, surely... Um, no one's deliberately offering plus EV bets in a standard market. They're just not, right? If it's somewhere in that range, it's either all on the under, in the midpoint, all on the over, or somewhere in between. Now, as I say, we have done previously all on the under and all on the over, and we're currently at the midpoint, but it's one of those things that people all seem to have a different opinion about. So what we're going to do moving forward is we're going to change the methodology, and we're going to provide a slider And if you want to put more margin on the under or more margin on the over, you just can. If you want to put it all on the over, you can. If you want to put it all on the under, you can. If you want to go third on the under, you can. If you want to go the midpoint, you can. You know what I mean? So um, because people, different advantage players, kind of disagree, because this is is the subjective part of an objective methodology, then we're going to make this um, changeable. For anyone that's still betting shots on target, by the way, which I don't know how many are because I see more people saying they've stopped touching them um the reason they may have stopped touching them is that we can see here from january 2020 all the way to march 2022 shots and target had made zero zero uh and then they went on a losing spree so by the time we were two and a half years if you'd bet on every single bet on the bet tracker over those two and a half years you'd have lost money and i can see why people after that period of time would just stop doing them if they didn't trust the underpinning mathematics um, that was looking at 1,183 bets on the tracker. Someone posted a sample size of about 1,050, I real, and they'd searched for everything with the word target. I realized that we had a lot of bets up there that had been abbreviated to SOT, and they wouldn't have been picked up. I've changed those to shots on target, put the data set back up on the site, and so we've gone from 1050 to 1183. Now, of those 1183, they're not all independent events. Some might be keen to get 1+, and keen to get 2+. plus. Shots on target in the same game. And if he gets none, both of those lose. They're not independent. Equally, some might be Kane to get one plus and then a different bet, Son, to get one plus. Well, if Son gets four shots on target, he takes action away from Kane, so they're not independent either. Looking at independent events, you have to look at individual matches. I couldn't be bothered to go through all of them and work out which ones were individual uh, matches. But looking at the dates and then roughly knowing how many games play per day, there's about 450 independent events in there. It's a decent sample size. It's by no means a very large sample size, especially when the average odds are about 6.2. Um. So I would say we're just up now, but it's 0.68% return on investment. It's it, if you were doing a staking to win 200 pounds unit win methodology, you've staked 76,000 pounds. You're Profit's 500 quid um, after 1,183 bets. You might argue that that's not worth it. You might argue that the 450 events isn't a large sample size. You may also argue that, well, how long do I have to wait for a decent sample size? It might be another two and a half years. And I'll forgive you for not wanting to wait five years for a decent sample size. There's no reason why anything should be different per bookmaker, but if you were interested, William Hill's minus 2%, SkyBets plus 9%. Paddy Power and Betfair Sportsbook are minus twenty point two six percent. Virgin Bet, 18 bets, minus 63%. That's kind of doesn't mean I don't think it's 18 bets, isn't it? You know what I mean? Um looking at the E return on investment by EV, um, all bets are 0.68%, but over 120% is plus fourteen percent. Over 120% 50% is plus 40%. So the EV does go, the ROI does go up as the EV goes up, which is encouraging. At very high EV, it's minus 5%. That's over 170%, but it's only a sample size of 48. So that's going to be related. Um, still, with those bets returning a 0.68% ROI, the variance simulator does suggest that we're on the lower side of luck there. Um, just simply because the EV is so large we should be doing a little bit better after 450 bets but it's not outside the realms of the possibility that we're sitting where we're sitting I mean as we've said something has to be the worst performing tool or tracker on boogie bashing um, looking at the sky bet shots on target in 2022 they sort of drifted between win-loss, win-loss, win-loss and did nothing up until April 2022 and then after April all the way through to mid-August they just went on a losing run. And I can see why in mid-August people were saying they were giving up on these. Because six months of losing and losing and losing and losing. You do kind of think something has to be wrong. It's a combination. It's not just that they're, plus e- it's not just that they're losing. It's that they're big plus EV. And so some people, you might look at the big plus EV and go, well, these are huge plus EV. They have to win. Unfortunately, there's no correlation between how lucky something is and how big the EV is. And also, unfortunately, if you did give up in mid-August, and I did see people saying they were giving up, it seems to have been nothing but winners since then, at least with the bets that we've recorded on the tracker. These are bets that the BB team put up. If someone puts a Skybet, if a user puts a Skybet bet on the tracker, um, we don't record the ROI of that, simply because we might not, we, we they might do it at 6 p.m. and no one's looking at the tracker, so we, can, we can't have 100% coverage of that. Looking at the type of bet, you can split them into combination bets and singles. By combination bets, I mean t- two players to get shots and target in the same game, like Kane and Son. Now, to do this, we have to come up with inclusivity coefficients. We've done that with corners and cards. Pretty happy with those. With shots and target, we weren't as happy with them. Of the 1,183 bets in on the tracker, about 300 are combination bets and 900 are singles the 300 combination bets are at minus 3% and the 900 singles are plus 1.5%. And we've actually in spring stopped doing the combination ones because we had some feedback that they just didn't look right and uh, we're not confident enough in them. And so we stopped them. We don't want to be off. We don't just want to leave things up because we think they're right. If there's any suspicion that something's wrong and... It really is like the first thing that we put a block on at bookie bashing in terms of our tools and trackers and said, we're not going to do this anymore until we've done more work on it. And we'll be doing work on that later on in the year. And then finally, we've been monitoring them in the background in on the exchange. It takes a lot of work to do this because you've just got to be by a computer at kickoff in order to get the closing line because uh, you're looking at closing line value, really. And at closing line value, we've been taking anything that's a last price matched um and comparing that against our fair odds and if the last price match was higher than our fair odds we would back it if it was lower than our la- fair odds we would lay it uh we don't take into account um the amount of liquidity a liability which raises some interesting positions for example there was one bet in there where we made San Maximan 39.78 and you could the last price match was 27 on the exchange so that's a big lay, um, but in order to lay that to win two hundred pounds, which is the standard lay that we have, because you know if you're backing at ten to one, you'd be backing twenty quid at ten to one, to lay at thirty nine point seven eight to win two hundred pounds, you have to lay five thousand two hundred pounds. There's no way that liquidity exists; it just doesn't. It might have been two pounds that was matched at twenty seven. The bet also lost. I think Maxman got four in that match, and so we had to record that as minus five thousand two hundred pounds. Like twenty six bets have to win in order to recover that. Um, and it's an unrealistic bet that never would have happened. So there's a pinch of salt that has to be taken into the data, I provided the data on the blog. We've had 934 bets in 136 individual games. Again, that's, a, that's just not a very large sample size. It's almost meaningless. We have an ROI of 1.94%. These aren't boosts. These are just standard bets on the exchange but again i'm not going to go too far into that because of the sample size but the thing is it took me 5 months of sitting at the computer to do that and we're only an eighth of the way away to a reasonable sample size so what am i going to do spend the next 4 years doing collecting this information either the methodology is right in which case we should be trusting it or the methodology is wrong trying to get enough data to look at this empirically is hard uh or we've also factored in five percent commission into that one point nine four percent on both the uh, any winnings from the back of the lay. All I would say is that look, if you trust the methodology and you can use the slider to your own level of confidence and understanding, go ahead and do it uh if you don't trust the methodology um well, I don't know what more I can say because the Poisson looks right. And the over-under slider means it has to be somewhere in that range. So if you don't trust those maths, then there's not much more I can do to convince anybody about anything. Um, If you don't trust it because the results haven't been gone right, going well, well, I have the option of removing this tool from the site. And I've chosen not to. And not, I haven't chosen not to because we get um, income on it, because I don't believe anybody is sitting on bookie bashing just to use the Shots on Target tool. It's something that most people could do themselves on a spreadsheet without paying a subscription to anyone. We did, and you could as well. And so if you're not a member of bookie bashing you want to get into Shots on Target, you can just do this yourself. Go to Unibet, go to Bet365, record the leads, record the under-over, find a way of using a VLOOKUP on Excel to get the reverse... Um, on relationship to come up with the expected means, apply bias on both sides, and then come up with some estimation of the range of what the fair odds should be. Anyone could do that, right? You don't need to be part bookie bashing. And so I could remove it. And the reason I don't remove it is I'm absolutely fundamentally sure that the methodology and the tool is completely sound and that the bad results that we've been experiencing are down to uh, a bad run of variance that sadly, because we have to look at independent games, is going to maybe take two and a half years or so to come out of. So that's one change that we're making to the shots and target tool is that slider. We're going to do the same with the corners and the cards. Also, there's going to be um, something with the corners and the cards um, that we're going to do, that we're going to bring in pinnacle data. There's no argument anywhere in the world that says that bookie bashing has a model that can beat pinnacle lines. And so if we start taking the Pinnacle data, what we're going to do is we're going to first hinge to that. No matter what the spreads say, we're just going to hinge to Pinnacle. We don't believe that the spreads can beat Pinnacle and we don't believe that we can beat Pinnacle. So it's going to be, and they don't offer it on every game that has corners and cards that we look at. The spreads do offer more games. But for those games that do, we hope there's going to be quite a good crossover. There's no reason why Pinnacle should be saying something and Sporting Index is saying something different. But just in case there is some disparity we're going to use just the pinnacle lines they'll be the first point of call so we just need to set up some things where we have access to a feed that gives those corners and cards and then um um, that's the position that we'll use and then the second thing is yeah we're going to introduce that slider into corners and cards that allows you to change the buy-sell just now. We did a lot of work on the position of the buy-to-sell gap on corners and cards. And what we actually found against Betfair closing line, definitely more so on corners, but kind of a little bit on cards as well, is that it is closer, much closer to the sell line over a large sample size than it is to the buy. And so we fixed the position between the buy and the sell for where we take corners and cards to that. A lot of people have said they don't want it there. They want it in the midpoint or they want it at the buy uh, or they want it at the sell. And we, I don't know. I thought that it was beneficial that we did the donkey work here comparing it to closing lines at Betfair. But in all honesty, if you want to change it, and again, we are looking at the subjective part of an objective problem, then we're more than happy just to give you the slider and you can change it yourselves. The one thing that will mean is that if you were to post bets onto a private tracker, they will have to match what your slider says. Your slider could say something different to somebody else's slider. And so we can't have people posting these to the public tracker. You get two bets posted with exactly the same setup, different positions of the slider, two different fair odds, two different EV. People are looking at it. Everybody's confused. Nobody's happy. Everyone's falling out. It's a bit like that Sunday, the last Sunday where on the Newbies channel, everyone's effing and jeffing and falling out and unhappy and throwing the toys out of prams and cancelling accounts and everyone's an idiot and you know what i mean i don't know what was in the water last sunday a little bit like that we don't want any of that so we're just going to give people the slider and they can choose the position or bias that they want and all will be happy with the world those are the um enhancements that we've got coming to corners cards shots and targets <laughs> Performance issues are getting to the point where subscribers should be compensated for them. Um, not sure what accent I was going for there. It might have changed halfway through. But that was some feedback we got over the summer. So um, this is just going to be a brief uh, segment where I'm going to try not to be defensive. In fact, in order not to be defensive, we do actually have to look at the area where we've got some th- some things wrong what had happened here is this chap had come on um and looked at i think some william hill shop horse racing odds or something and they were stale and um this had happened a couple of times in that particular week and uh, maybe he was in the shop i don't know but uh, he was getting to the point where performance issues are getting to the point where subscribers are blah, blah 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 um so this is uh, an interesting um aspect that we have at bookiebashing.net, which is a 24 7 365 service we aim to provide a suite and trackers and tools that you can use at 2 45 a.m on christmas day morning should you wish we actually have had someone um um email us with a request that we sort something out at 2 45 a.m on a christmas day morning i left duncan to sort that out um And the key objective that we have is to keep everything as up-to-date and as current as possible. To do this, we use a mixture of service scrapers, feeds, manual entry, right? Not all eggs are in the same basket. Um, Now, here's an important thing that you may not know or you may know, but bookmakers do not want us reading their content. And um, we're their adversary, and they employ large multi-million pound teams, IT teams who do their best to block us. Um, and they have various tactics up their sleeve. They might change a bit of code on the website so that things just move slightly and any automatic scraper cannot access it. Or they might change a URL or they might block an IP address that they correctly guess is being used to access their data in a sort of standardized way. This happens all the time. It really does. And when it happens, you might see a William Hill disappear from the tracker or If we don't quite understand what's happened, like because it's an autonomous bot, it might be still reading data, but that data is stale and from a few minutes ago or, you know, might be an hour ago if it's gone wrong. Occasionally a whole tracker might go down because something fundamental has shifted somewhere, and we, or, you know, Betfair, if we're using them for some fair odds calculation, that api could just be lost and therefore we've got no fair odds forever anything in the tracker goes down and to fix it we might need to change an ip address build a new virtual machine change some code on a scraper we might not be able to fix it it might be the bookmaker's fault they might be down for maintenance it might be betfair's fault it might in fact we've even had multiple times where the servers that hold bookie bashing go down for maintenance or just go down and they need to get them back up. And it's not even anything to do with the bookmakers or us. It's simply some servers in America where things are held go down. The solution varies depending on whether we can fix it, and if we can fix it, depending on what the problem is. And often, actually, we run across, we find lots of problems ourselves that no one's even mentioned, and we fix them within a few seconds, and there's every chance you, you didn't notice that it even happened, that nobody noticed, and we just got it fixed. Sometimes it might take a few minutes. Sometimes we don't know there's a problem until... Users see it and tell us that's quite a frequent thing that happens, and occasionally it might take an hour or two if the problem is particularly difficult or if life gets in the way. Look, we've got an IT team of one. What well, we did, we've now hired a new member in the IT team, so we've doubled it to two. But I mean, look, what if, um, what if someone's kid is? having a hospital appointment? I mean, are we meant to refix a scraper at that point? Because we're 24-7, 365, there has to be some times when we're not looking at it. So there's two things. We're not looking at it all the time, and also we don't know about the problems until somebody tells us. And it's the nature of the game that we're going to run into problems and be blocked at some point. I mean, our objective is to minimize the downtime and stale odds And we continually invest and reinvest and build and back up solutions to do this. And actually, everything is a lot better than it used to be. We used to have real performance issues with bet trackers and stuff like that. And the solutions came. But in terms of bookmakers sort of blocking us out, there's not much we can do about that. We can't stop Betfair going down. We can't stop servers in America going offline and then us needing to reboot everything. If that happens at 4 a.m. in the morning, no one knows. But we might need to reboot everything automatically. And we don't know until we've woken up. And if people access the site before we wake up, what can we do? We've got an IT team of one. You know, some of these larger betting communities, the odds monkeys, the profit maximizers, the adjudication minimizers, I don't know what they're all called, but they have like teams of 20 plus IT people. I have no idea what they all do. (laughs) I have no idea what they all do. This is is kind of a theory that if you employ people, even if they've got nothing to do, they'll find something to do. Anyway, so even with a tiny team compared to that, that's, by the way, why we have so much edge in EV compared to those guys is that we have so much of a smaller community. We couldn't have a community that was as large as them. But we'll never be at a point. We will never be at a point where nothing is stale and nothing is missing 24-7 because of the nature of the bookmakers always trying to block us. All we can do is continue to reinvest, invest, reinvest, and do our best to stay live, stay current, and stay on top of anything that drops out without getting too big. We would never want to be... at. Uh, a position where we could have twenty plus IT staff because then the EV the community would need to be so large that the EV available to people would be dramatically reduced. So in terms of compensation for members for the performance of the site, it's our assessment that the performance of the site is pretty good. Uh, our uptime is ninety nine percent. I mean, you only really hear about it when it goes down. That's the weird thing about downtime, you know. And we provide enough content to cover the cost of a subscription many times over. There's a weird thing about the cost of a subscription, talking about it myself, but in all honesty, it's our assessment that we could multiply it by a number of times. We would lose a few people and we would maintain the core people and we would actually end up having more income like that. Why don't we do that? Because we'd end up with an easy life there. We'd just have the high rollers. Well, the reason is there is a necessity to have... New eyes, new brains, new suggestions coming through the door. Otherwise, we stay um, we stay stale. So we've weighed up the various things about how much we should be charging, how big the community should be, and we're trying to get a good balance of um, decay, new people coming through. You know, we know that people would stay at three nine nine. We probably a month we um, we've been told that people would stay at three nine nine a month. We probably would get no one new through the door. So we'd have a little bit of decay to deal with there, but then our income would go up. It's a very, very, But then we've got no new ideas. It's a very, very difficult sort of balancing act to get. Um, but what we hope is that people realise that we're not just a horse racing tracker, which is what I think this guy was coming from. Not only was this guy getting frustrated because he was trying to access the horse racing tracker and he wasn't looking at other trackers, and we try and keep them all um, as up-to-date and current as possible... Um, but we suspect he was probably doing it on behalf of a group of people he was passing the information on to, and they were getting upset with him, which is why he was getting upset, in which case we've got no sympathy, you know, because you're just reselling our data, mate. No proof that that's happening, but it was kind of the way that it came across like that. But we are so much more um, than that. And one of the things that I haven't really gone into, but I think it was covered enough over it, SBC, if you listen to any of their podcasts, was the whole episode with um, Tenbet on both the um, we, uh, the bookie-bashing golf tracker. We used it for the weekly options. It was just such a huge EV then. And over at weekly golf value. The thing about the golf is that you're waiting for the diamond. The diamond is the big EV guy at high odds that you don't have to stake very much on. You know, when they win at low EV, that's fine. But if you're Kelly staking that, it doesn't make much difference. It's when these... You know, it's 100.1 for show and 140% for Doe. That's what the EV is. And this was a huge, big 140% plus guy, Trey Mullinax. And he won, and we were max staking him at high odds. And so when they slash the odds, it does. it's not just about the unfairness of people not getting paid out. It's almost like we've been waiting around and being patient about this for so long, um, and it finally comes and we don't get paid out about it. It's almost like, well, can we win? Now, we ended up getting paid out at 175 to 1, and I ended up speaking to the representative, the owner from Tenbet over in Israel, and I wanted to capture the conversation. Uh, I missed the beginning bit, but I did pick it up a couple of minutes in and thought you might be interested in what was spoken about uh, in that conversation.
1: I understand, so I yeah.
0: Just, I, I just asked Tom, you know, we we uh we did uh, a mistake.
1: We did now the appropriate thing. I hope that you know you respect us and and, and
0: don't make a mockery out of us. No, you no, no well, I <laughs> I, am, I no, I I very much admire that you're able to put your, your hands up and admit the mistake. Um uh, we we have in the past um, come across obvious mistakes and we have gone out of our way to avoid them because I don't want to be in the business of, you know, a, a bet goes up at 10 to 1, the price is, is available at 100 to 1. That, that should be 10 to 1. We would very much sympathize with the bookmaker. And we understand that mistakes happen. We looked at this. We didn't think it was a mistake. I think Bet365 being at 150 to 1 was leading us to that decision. Our own maths made it about 145. And we often no, but, see, um, we often mean, see about... You know what? I'm yeah. you the truth. Yeah. The information that we received. Look, we canceled. No, we, sorry, we didn't
1: cancel. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of bets on, I think started on the 4th, on the 5th, and then we had on the 6th and on the 7th. Yeah. Most of the, most of the damage was done on the 7th of July. Yeah. We When we decided to settle within a hundred to one, we received information, mm. yeah, yeah? Yeah. That the odds on were 91 on the 6th of June.
0: This is the information that we received, uh, 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 again, with other bookmakers. Mm. Okay, okay.
1: information yeah and, and by the way it doesn't correspond to 151
0: 365 for sure we're not 151 on the 7th of july um no they, they were at 1 p.m on the sixth of july the reason I know that is we have a um, we have a dedicated feed that tells us the price at every bookmaker and at 1 p.m on the seventh of july was exactly the time that I time stamped the price at every bookmaker, which included 175 to one at um, 10 bet. And then I advised quite a number of people that subscribed to me for golf betting advice um, that 175 to one is the best price out there. And if you can't get on at 10 bet, go over to bet365, go over to Betway, get your 150 to one, get your 125 to one. So I do, I, I am aware that you were the outlier price at that time. Um, but only just. But um, look, I'm I'm very I'm so happy that um, you're saying that you're going to be able to honour the hundred and seventy five to one, even if it was a mistake, a genuine mistake. And I understand that SB Tech emailed all of you guys and offered you all to take the palpable error if you wanted to. And um, uh, I I think the rest of the people that subscribed to SB Tech declined the offer. I can understand why. Ten bet took it because I didn't raise Sport Nation or Red Zone Sport in any of my tippings. So I think I pushed a lot of people in your direction and you, you took a hit on the li- liability. And I've learned my lesson on that. I'm no longer going to uh, push out a single no, bookmaker. I'd you know?
1: have to tell you something. Tell okay. You know, we, we're an established bookmaker, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. blah. I won't tell you. you know, we're in the industry. We have good financial situations. But you know we're not and uh, it's, uh, if you cannot <laughs> recommend people to come to us on these mistakes, I would, uh, you know, it's up to you it's up to free you can do but I
0: would appreciate it. For us, uh, you know, we lost a lot of money on this customer. I'm sure, I'm um, sure it may be a million, I'm sure.
1: We lost a lot of money and, and you know, we're trying to, to be good with customers, pay them quickly, do their like, give them good thoughts. Mm. You know, I'm telling you, when a lot of things like this happen to you, you start, you, I don't want to start being uh, protective, you understand? Yeah. You don't want to be protective. You don't want to look at customers withdrawals and say, no, let's, you want to be, you know, when you want to give people a good experience. So, you know, you can recommend us, but don't forget, we're not Betway. We're yeah. not Betway 65. We're yeah. not these guys. We're we are a small operation. We're trying to get the best service possible. Mm-hmm. To the people. This is why, by the way, this is why, Yeah. and say yeah. you know it, it's not us you understand it's not, it's not the kind of business that we do and even if we can do something hmm. even if we can defend something like this we don't want to do that you understand sure so so really i appreciate
0: well, what you now, this, um, this may be out of your hands. I understand that you may have taken the decision to sort of um, zero liability all bets from the accounts of people that were on this. Look, we are not arbitrage players. We don't even seek out mistakes or top price. We are just... Almost everyone that was on this, they just follow me for golf bet tipping advice and the rest of their bets, they're probably really good for you. My advice to you would be to have a look at who you've restricted and see if really that needs to be the decision moving forward. As I say, from 10 Bet Golf, I, I have removed all references to 10 Bet from my selections you know this week. Know, you, you, know? Know. Yeah. you know I have a profit
1: loss report. Okay, yeah. It, it, runs, yeah. It, runs, it runs twice a day. It's between us. It yeah. runs at 12 at, at midnight. Uh, I know it runs at 10 p.m. UK time. Yep. And, uh, Time, and then in the morning you get the last two hours. You get the PL for the previous day until 12 p.m. UK time. At at, uh, at 10 p.m. UK time, I was looking at the report. We were winning money that day. Everything you know, normal, etc. I wake up in the morning. I see such a figure that I'm, I said, "Wow, it's interesting. Maybe I don't know. Let's see what happens here." I look into the gaming activity where I can see all the winning. Last night from 10 to 12, I see a bunch of people, but a lot of people, and you see the turnover. You see deposit amount 100, turnover 150, winnings. Yeah.
0: That is a honorable thing to do. Here is what I will do on my side. One, I will cease negatively um, pub- publicizing because I have been active in publicizing this negatively. My fear was that it would be brushed under the carpet and I didn't want it to be. Uh, and secondly, as I say, I will not be pushing any uh, outlier top rights from prices from 10 bets to the people that i advise golf bets to i understand you're a small operation it probably wasn't fair and you i hope you've maybe got some management on your liability moving forward and yeah if um i uh, i hope um i start hearing some reports from people that yeah they've received their payouts and i have to say that was it's really very good i think that you managed to take the time to reach out and get in touch and make this decision i've got a lot of respect
1: for it Uh, uh, i again i Thank I started you. in 2003. I know mm-hmm. uh, I, the best uh, relationship I had is with, uh, is
0: with people like you and they uh, taught me a lot. We also worked. We never cancel a bet again. To be honest. It's just
1: not the worth the pain. You know what? I feel sorry for you because you know what I was saying? I was saying, look at this person. He's not even involved, right? No, I I, 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 I wasn't on at 10 bet myself. I, I, I felt... <laughs> yeah. And, and I said, okay, let's try to make his mm-hmm. life easy as well, and, and, and make him look respectful towards his community, etc. Because it's important for all of us. So, okay. Tom, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope uh, that uh, everything is fine now, yeah. and that you can get, you know, not <coughs> get us out of it as as good as possible. Not asking for any requests or something like that. And if there is anything they need from you, this is my phone number. You
0: and so, really, the reason I sort of bring that up, um, it was. Interesting that Tenbet would engage with us, and I'm very happy that they did. And as far as my, I'm aware, what that I know of, we got £50,000 repaid into people's accounts. Um, the real number's probably going to be 10 times that. Um, I've got no way of knowing for sure. All I know of is the £50,000. So as a service, what I hope you see is that bookie bashing is simply more than £89 a month for a horse racing tracker. What we're trying to do is provide an overall community and we're gonna come to bat for you when things happen that are unfair and we can maybe leverage some of the power um, and exposure that we have. (laughs) marketing girl lady are we allowed to say girl um we have a marketing lady at bookie bashing and she wrote a blog over the summer whilst we were away um now uh the marketing lady is an expert in marketing and various marketing social media marketing marketings um and she knows a bit about sports and sports betting and stuff like that um but Um, This was meant to be a little informal. It was just something really to tie us over, tweet out. It was kind of for fun. Do you remember fun? Do you remember the fun? Look back, think about when you were a child, you were having the fun, and try and remember those times. That's kind of what we were doing. We're having a bit of fun. This blog was called Professional Gamblers, History's Biggest Winners or Losers. Um, And um, she sort of made a list of the top biggest losses and um, wins from googling around and, and seeing who she could find it wasn't really a serious list um yeah, it, it, it was really there just for something a little bit different let's not talk about binomial probability distributions for 10 minutes let's not talk about multi-criteria decision analysis efficiency frontiers let's just have a little bit of a fun blog about History's biggest winners or losers in this she included um vegas dave dave on chia um for anyone that doesn't know and we got some uh, contacted by someone who said in the article below you mentioned that vegas dave is one of the all-time earners when in fact he is a massive scam artist um in the interest of your respectability can you please take him off um this might be um the world changing at a rate that i don't particularly understand because um um, i think we maybe just missed the point that this was not really something to be taken seriously. It was just a little bit of um of of banter. Um but um we can have a look at this if you like. Vegas Dave is one of those guys have you, I don't know if you've ever have followed US sports tipsters. They're they're a completely different culture to UK sports tipsters. I Had a period of time where I lived in America when I was younger, and then a little bit of time a little bit older, Um, and I saw what the industry is like over there. And most of it's like, um, it's it's like you've got picks. That's what they call them. They're going to pick you a winner. So you've got picks, but then how? What's better than a pick? Well, a platinum pick. And then what's better than a platinum pick? A diamond pick. And then pick of the week. And then pick of the year. And then a gold pick and like you you know they don't mean anything you know from the world of mathematical modeling that we come from we've just spoken about the fact that if we could actually mathematically model the expected value of shots and target bets and still if you would bet on them you wouldn't really have made any money due to an extreme bout of variance that lasted for the better part of two and a half years (laughs) and so which one of those is meant to be the pick of the week 180% 180% EV one? I, I even said if you bet on everything over 170%, four, you'd bet on 46 of them that would be negative. And I can say that confidently because I know that we've modelled them mathematically and we understand the variance involved with such a sample size. So pick of the week is nonsense, isn't it? Um, but that's what Americans do. Um and they seem to sell them for a lot of money as well. Um four hundred, five hundred, six hundred dollars for the for the lock. For the lock of the month. For the lock of the year. This is gonna be the lock of the year. This is gonna the lock means that this is an absolute certainty. You know what I mean? This bet that's even money that possibly we've got at best of edge on, is is so certain that this is going to come in, that this is the lock. You need to lock this bet in. And um, Dave Owen is sort of the king of these people. In this article, which was written in 2020, he was 43. I was 42 in 2020. He's one year older than me. Um, He's considerably richer than me, though. Um... So this is Vegas Dave, as he's known to his millions of followers, on social media. He's a notorious gambling influencer, known for selling picks on which team will win a given game. Uh, He he says himself he's the best sports information consultant in the world. He became well-known in the sports gambling circuit in 2015 after collecting $2.5 million on a futures bet. Um, like an anti-post bet, that the Kansas City Royals would win the World Series that year. Um, I don't actually know. I I can't. I I don't know enough about um, baseball to sort of know what the Kansas City Royals' odds would have been in 2015. But even if they were, you know... It doesn't matter what they were, that's a big liability. If they were even money, that's a big liability, and if they were a hundred to one, that's a lot of money on a hundred to one shot so it's a it's a big bet, no matter which way you look at it and you've gotta wonder the kind of bankroll that is involved with a bet that returns two point five million dollars. either it's extraordinarily irresponsible or he is in an absolutely massive syndicate um you know one of the two or what what could the other option be you know that's, that's the, or he's or he's got 100 billion in the in there i mean how much would you need in the to safely win 2.5 million dollars how much would you need um maybe um 2% of your bankroll multiplied by yeah maybe 100 and maybe 125 million something like that so maybe he's got $125 million in, the, in his account. I don't know. I haven't seen his bank account. What I do know is that he, he didn't do well in school, and he's my age. So if he does have $125 million in the bank, it's you've got a question where that's come from. In February 2016, he also won a $2.3 million payout when the Denver Broncos beat the Caroline Panth- Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl 50. So that now he's on money line, right? He's on money line in the Super Bowl. Which is like probably the hardest single line of any any sports bet in the world, just in terms of being shaped by smart money, you know. Most NFL betters have given up betting money line just throughout the season. Imagine trying to bet um, money line on the Super Bowl. Maybe it wasn't money line on the Super Bowl. Maybe that was another anti-post bet. But regardless, he's he's betting to liabilities of two point five million. I mean. At, at the minimum he should have 125 million in the bank and probably quite a lot that, that's like one bankroll as well. It wouldn't be unreasonable as a professional better to suggest he might need a billion in his bank account. Despite holding the winning ticket for the Super Bowl, he couldn't collect the full amount because the federal government were investigating him. The following year, Orancina was indicted on 19 felonies related to his long-standing habit of using other people's social security numbers to place wages. The, um, I mean, it's not the biggest crime in the world if he has the permission of the people. If he does have the, per- if he doesn't have permission of the people, it's pretty, it is pretty bad. It certainly doesn't sound like someone that's got a billion or even one hundred and twenty-five million in his account. In twenty nineteen, on Chia, who was represented by the well-known Vegas criminal defense attorney David Chesnov accepted a plea bargain instead of being convicted of nearly 20 felonies he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor, forfeited half a million dollars and was banned from las vegas sportsbook now look if he's betting to liabilities of 2.5 million and he's forfeited half a million then that's not a bad deal is it those legal troubles led Vegas Dave to press his luck in the lucrative world of memorabilia. When they banned me from sports, my vision was clear. Sports cards. So he, um, he's been selling very expensive sports cards for millions of dollars and just trying to get a different edge, to tell you the truth. I'm not that interested in the, um, the sports card stuff. What I am interested in is... How he persuaded people he was a winning sports better. I mean those that follow his social media posts and pay for his picks and his locks will find a world of braggadocio and shoddy maths. Um Every single day via Instagram live streams, Owen Chia entices gamblers to buy his advice with directions on how to place straight bets and multi-bet parlays ranging from the $199 daily card to a big $995 game of the week. Current exchange range, exchange rates, you get 10 months of bookie bashing for that. That's, that'll be nearly a million bets. And here you're getting the game of the week, but then America is a different place, isn't it? Return customers receive a barrage of emails every day, tempting them to upgrade to more expensive packages. All of his picks are a sure thing. Vegas Dave says with relentless hucksterism, claiming some of his packages have an 85% chance of winning and can help bettors make an extra 100000 to $600,000. I always love it when people put arbitrary ranges and things like that. Why not $10 to a billion dollars? Why does it have to be 100000 to 600000 For anyone who understands betting on sports, however, a winning percentage of 85% is laughable. Now, this is something where we have to sort of look at the difference between British betting, European betting, American betting. They're generally talking about um, betting on the even line with a handicap or a point spread. So, you know, the Carolinas minus 8.5 will be even, some with juice attached, it'll be 9 to 10, 10 to 11, something like that. On both sides, plus eight on the other side, right? So he's, he's talking about winning 85% of the time on 50, 50 propositions. Um, so, as a point of reference, perhaps the most successful sports gambler in America before retiring. Billy Walters won about fifty-seven percent of the time, and then Billy Walters, incidentally, was convicted of insider trading in two thousand and seventeen. Ounche refuses to give details about his win-loss percentage. He says, "I've bet over a thousand times, really, over a thousand times. That's what I'm really well. I mean, okay, it's a significant sample size at evens, but it's not that many bets for a professional gambler. I don't have a record," he says via video chat whilst wearing a black diamond necklace, an iced-out Richard Millie watch and mesh sport shorts. This guy didn't spend uh, the majority of the summer on a campsite in Nevin with his kids, um, making um, co-op burgers off the barbecue. That's fair to say. Last year, Owen Cheer was featured in Showtime's Sports Gambling documentary action in which he lost a series of three bets for his customers including a wager on the rams against the patriots during super bowl um 53, so that's some nice in-play action then. When pressed on his performance, and anyone can lose three bets at evens, Owen Shear quickly changes the topic to his sports tout business, which he expected to net him over $2 million in August alone. Will I lose, he asks. I lose once a week. I'm human. Owen Shear, who has 2 million followers on Instagram, is often the first stop for first-time sports gamblers who get sucked in by his promise of easy money. I was an amateur sports bettor, so I believed everything he fed us, says Ajay, a gambler who lives in California and used to buy picks from Owen Cheer. It was extremely disappointing losing day after day. Other former customers, including an Arizona man who goes by Dub, described Owen Cheer more succinctly. He's a fraud. In 2017, Dub bought a $1,100 NFL package, but his bankroll ran out eight weeks into the 17-week session. I mean, that's just really poor from Owen Cheer. I mean, Anyone can, even scammers can work out their max loss rate and then just make sure that people are betting at a rate where they don't go bust before the end of the package that they've bought. But if you watch enough of Vegas Dave's video, it's clear that he preys on newbie sports gamblers, often with condescending and sexist pictures. If you want to jump on the money train, I can help you, ONG said. During one live stream in July, I don't care if you don't speak English. I don't care if you're a female. One of those females, eh? I don't care if you don't watch sports. His style is part Carnival Barker. And a foul-mouthed version of CNBC's Jim Cramer. In another video, he pledges that his picks will help you flip hundreds into thousands. It's every single line in the book, isn't it? But Dave, Vegas Davis math doesn't work out if you pay for his picks. In order to break even in the long run, you must win 52.4% of the time against the standard minus 110 line or 10 to 11 to account for the VIG that the sportsbook takes, or the overround in English. But if you're paying at least $200 for that advice, you have already eaten into your profits before considering the VIG on each bet. On Sunday, August the 30th, this Forbes journalist bought Owen Chia's MLB Daily card. In a video that morning, Owen Cheer gave buyers a guarantee if less than five parlays hit, the next day's picks would be free. The first pick was a Moneyline bet. On the Minnesota Twins, who have favoured to beat the Tigers. Oh, and she has suggested a wager to win 35 units. A unit is um, twenty point two five percent of your bankroll or $25, assuming you start with a $10,000 bankroll. The price at the South Point Sportsbook was minus 210, which means I'd have to lay out, wait for it, from a $10,000 bankroll, $1,838 to win $875. And the Twins lost. So... That's an interesting start. Twenty percent of your bankroll gone and bet one. The next wager was a money line bet for the Reds to beat the Cubs for twenty units. The Reds lost. That was another eight hundred dollars down the drain. The last straight bet was for the Cardinals to beat the Indians or lose by one run by two to win two hundred and fifty dollars by risking four hundred dollars. And the Cardinals beat the Indians seven to two. Out of thirty-one parlays, twenty-nine bets lost and two paid out. Ten minus ten dollars seventy-nine combined don't understand what he's saying there, but he says losses topped $2,660 and then Owen Chia sent out his game of the month for free, a 110-unit bet on the Braves to beat the Phillies. The Braves won, but the day's just finished $650 in the hole. Now, Vegas Dave is not the first handicapper to sell his picks, nor will he be the last. There's a long and colourful history of touts. The difference with Owen Chia is that he blends the heart-attacking intensity of old-school touts with the FOMO and Hustle porn culture of Instagram influences. If you spend enough time scrolling through Dave Vegas Dave's social media posts, you will start to feel like the only thing standing in your way from sitting courtside at the Lakers game with your girlfriend and three Birken bags, as Vegas Dave did in 2019, is his advice on who will win tomorrow night. Most, if not all, professional bettors are number-crunching stat Rufus Peabody, a professional gambler who studied economics at Yale and specialises in golf bets, created his own computer models to find inefficiencies in the market. But Vegas Dave, who has a high school education, says he doesn't mess with maths and claims he was born with a talent to predict games. I just have a good vision and gut. It's not teachable, says Owen Cheer. I could never teach you what I do. He claims to be worth $20 million dollars he, well I mean again if he's worth twenty million dollars and he's winning two point five million dollars on liability, it's just that's just he's not gonna be worth twenty million dollars very soon. It's gonna be the first losing run he goes on. But he offers no proof to back up his bravado to signal his wealth. He points to his Rolls Royce Cullinan and Ferrari four eight eight spider. I don't like it, he says. I just keep it in the garage. Owen Chia also owns a seven bedroom villa in Cabo, which he's named Villa Vic. Vegas Dave, and he owns a seven thousand square foot home and a two bedroom condo in Vegas through a trust. He also likes to point out that he has one point three million dollar collection of Hermès Birkin bags. Should I be embarrassed? I don't even know what they are. I've never heard of them before. Um, in April 2019, he bought a very rare uh, diamond Birkin for half a million dollars, um, making it the most expensive Birkin ever sold. Are these bags? or well, like handbags or man bags? I don't know. But the bag isn't worth that much, according to Jeff Beck, the CEO of Privé Porter. Is that what Jeff Beck's doing these days? Which sold it to Orange Year. It's worth probably $350,000. He knew he was overpaying for it. He wanted to break the record. Vegas Dave was born in Michigan, grew up in Ann Arbor, Um In 1997, he moved to Hawaii where he placed his first sports wager. He bet $300 on a Titans and Raiders game that lost, but he fell in love with sports betting, and that instinct drew him to Sin City in 2001. Same here, by the way. He told his parents that he would be attending the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. Instead, he took out a $10,000 student loan and put it all on red in roulette. He won doubling the money, and that started off his bankroll, he said. Uh, That winning streak wouldn't last long. Within a year, he filed for a voluntary petition for personal bankruptcy. He had just $820 in assets, including $20 in cash. He then started placing bets at Sportsbook like the Westgate under phony social security numbers as early as 2007. By 2010, His home was foreclosed upon and sold, and months later he was arrested for driving under the influence. In 2013, a cop caught him with a bag of white powdery substance at Vegas Cosmopolitan Hotel, a police report says. (laughs) And the state eventually dismissed the case in 2016, the same night he lost a million dollars on a UFC night. That must have been the um, McGregor... Fight surely, wasn't it? He got into a physical altercation with his girlfriend, which led to a domestic battery charge. The charge was reduced to disorderly conduct after he completed counselling. When asked about the incident today, he says it's all false. Um this guy is not the best handicap in the world. And you know what? I said at the beginning of this, the world is changing. And we were just writing that blog for fun. Um, and I knew that Vegas Dave was a bit of a Jack the Lad and not somebody that I could relate to and boogie bashing could relate to. It's completely different worlds. And I knew that our uh, marketing girl had put him in and I didn't care. And then I did that bit of research on him and I have realized w- that the person that got in touch with us, I've come completely 360 and I realize you're probably right. We shouldn't have included him at all. He's an absolute scumbag. He wasn't worthy of mention. It's not the fault of the marketing lady at bookie bashing. It is my fault. I should have done a little bit more research and reading into this guy. I just thought he was like a scamster. I didn't realize he was a scamster hamster. I didn't realize he was um, or, or more of this awful sort of fraudulent drug taking girlfriend beating show offy behavior and for that reason um we did take him off the blog and yeah we you were right and we were wrong so um uh, don't be like vegas dave and uh, that's the lesson that we're all going to take out of that <laughs> Okay, I'm going to address a lot of the feedback that came my way, mostly after the star sports interviews this summer, mostly, if not all, from people that have had no exposure or awareness of me or bookie bashing. It's sort of a mixture, really, of um, incredulity, some trolling, some downright harassment messages. A lot of it was just spammy nonsense, which I'm going to skip over. But I think, really, some people say ignore this, but sometimes I think... If you can address these things and categorize them into, you know, go fuck yourself, that you're a waste of space, or anything that I can do as in terms of self-improvement, then, well, the latter cannot be a bad thing. I mean, it's sort of a free roll. Either you get better or nothing changes. I can't see how it would make you worse. So um, the first um, was from Colin Duffy, who said um, these fuckers and these fuckers as me and the bookie bashing team these fuckers have stripped every ounce of enjoyment out of having a punt these days where was all the character gone that the game was built on uh and then secondly um um he says um the game used to be run by people for people who genuinely loved the theater of sports racing and betting on sports and racing now we ha- all we have are bot heads sitting in darkened rooms stripping the juice out of the last le- lemon. That wasn't meant as a metaphor. Um, it's just asset stripping of the working classes. I know William Hill wouldn't have been an advocate. Right, okay. So just a few things on this. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, we've stripped every ounce of enjoyment out of having a punt these days. I wouldn't say that I have stripped every ounce of enjoyment out of people having a punt these days. If he means that he's been restricted more, I don't think that that's got anything to do with me. I don't know why he would think as well that that's got anything to do with me. Where's all the character gone that the game was built on? Well, if he, he, I mean, basically he saying he doesn't like my character there, and not everyone has to. Um, uh, I don't know what characters he's referring to that the game was built on. Um, I'm not particularly trying to achieve to be them, because I wouldn't be me if I was them. Um, but the game used to be run by people for people. I'm people, I think, who genuinely love the theater of sports racing and betting on sports racing. Okay. I mean, I love a lot of sports. Horse racing is probably my least favorite sport, but I love the theater of my mathematics against the bookies mathematics. Does that not count in the theater, in the ring? Is he saying, do you think that because I use models... um, I'm, I'm, I, it, I'm, it's not fair game and people shouldn't be laying me a bet. Uh, Maybe an argument that, but he's now saying, I don't know what a bothead is, but why do all people, he says, I'm a bothead sitting in a darkened room stripping the juice out of the last lemon. Why do all people, actually, I am now sitting in a darkened room, but that's because it's really bright outside in the middle of summer and I'm doing the podcast, but I don't often sit in a darkened room. People have an infatuation that I either sit in a darkened room or my mum's house. Someone said to me recently, um, I love that you say that you're a we, like you're some big organization when you're just some kid. Um, sat in his back room of his mum's house. I mean, I moved out of my mum's house 25 years ago, 26 years ago, although my mum does make a very good sticky toffee pudding, which would be a reason to move back. Um, it's interesting that people think that we're always in darkened rooms. You know, I literally spent the entire summer outside on a surfboard. Um I, it's just asset stripping of the working classes. That's where that's the one that I was a little bit bothered by, because we're not asset stripping the working classes. What does he mean by that? The bookmakers are asset stripping. Asset stripping means taking money off. They're taking money off the working classes. We're taking money off the bookmakers. The bookmakers aren't the working classes, so he's wrong then. And now only think that is he referring to me as some sort of um, tipster who's a sham tipster who takes money off people and they don't know any better. Is that what he's referring to? If he is, he's just completely got me wrong, I think. So that was an interesting one to read. Um, I'm a professional batty boy. Um, That's underneath professional gambler. I didn't choose professional gambler. Under there, I think. I, I sort of said, could I have bookie-bashing founder, but then gave three or four, or odds compiler, or odds modeler. So he's taken professional gambler and turned it into professional batty boy. Uh, Your dad's a paedophile. That was on my daughter, a picture of my daughter on the Facebook page. So these are just like general harassment, people waste of time. Someone just said, nice glasses. What does that even mean? I, I, I had sunglasses with me because it was a sunny day. And someone said, "Nice rings." I mean, okay. Well, th- thanks for the nice rings. Um, this guy's after timing on Mullanax. He's describing him via his stats as if he's the second coming, like Jesus, I guess. Um, after timing on Mullanax is an interesting one because the bet was emailed out to everyone um, at twelve p.m. or one p.m. on the Wednesday before the event. If you weren't on the email list, it was isolated as a top bet on a live tracker for the Barber Cell on a web page for everyone to see. You know, that's got a subscription to bookie Bashing. And we took it off the tracker and put it on a page for 36 hours for everyone to see from there before the event. So it's like, it's almost like the opposite of after timing. Like after timing is when you win a bet and then you tell everyone that you were on the bet after it won but we told everyone we were on the bet before it won on three different mediums so I mean, so that one was a really odd one when i was accused of after timing on molly mlnx um, this guy looks l- more lit up than a, lit up more than a fairground <laughs> yeah i know i don't like how i came across in the q and as i don't he's a coke head for sure all right well i mean i've got two young kids so if that's how you think I spend my evenings at home? So, I mean even if I was so what? It's 2022. It's like who cares? I live my life you live life your life if you if you're a coquette, I'm not gonna I'm not going to hold that against you. You do what you do you. Maybe he has had a strong coffee and some decongestant right in both parts and needs to bag the lemmings to pay for his drug habit. There you go. I need to bag the lemmings. To pay for my dog's habit. This one was liked by seven people and it was just the word Muppet. How did seven people like just the word Muppet on the video of me? Um, he's full of shit. Um, You're full of shit, so fuck you. Joker him. All right. Touches his nose too much for my liking. I know, I'm aware. I Do you know what? I was nervous. I was nervous being th- out of like a video that just filmed my face. I don't do a lot of that. And so I touched my nose a lot. Um, brilliant set of interviews and questions and answers. This guy really knows his stuff. Thank you. That's thanks very much. And but then, um, a reply to that was the guy has never bet a in his sad life. he has <laughs> got four likes. The guy who was complimentary to me got two likes. Um, what does K I R mean? By the way, Fanny better K I R. I don't know what K I R means weirdo gets all his friends fam to comment no one cares someone says someone's actually taking the time out to post no one cares um when you asked him how many of his followers use his site to make a living from gambling he touched his nose whilst replying now that is a tell interesting i mean what am i what what am i doing i'm um didn't i say i did i I thought I, i haven't looked back but didn't i say i didn't know so if I'm lying that I didn't know, does that mean that I did know? I mean, I honestly don't know. I know there are a few because I know them personally. I mean, I touched my nose. I used to play poker, looking out for people touching their noses. So I, un- I do understand the body language thing there. I'm going to have to improve my appearance and my behavior on videos, I think. I'm, okay, I'll, I'm going to look out for that. The waving of the arms, the being lit up more than the fairground and the touching my nose. Can we have some figures you're not getting rich on 5% ROI? That's one where I think that, you I discussed on that earlier, you're showing up um, your lack of knowledge when you post on like that. Someone posted 130 bet slip um, copy and paste just like random bets. And the reason they did that was to flood out any of the comments that people left, which is quite sad because a couple of people had left some nice comments and then they were just lost in the overall, in the overall spam. Um, as always on Star Sports, some failed gambler thinking he's God. Um, I think I put a lot of work into trying not to come across as arrogant. So I—that's th- I, what I think anyway. Anyone who uses their hands to make a point too much is a sign of bullshit and a big red flag for me.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: I'm aware I use my hands a lot, and I, I'm going to work on that. Okay. Followed by like another 130 random comments. Good stuff on here. Best description of Evie I've heard which is cool. And then this guy, someone replied to him, Fanny better. And six people liked that. And then a load of... Um, a load of... Uh, I actually replied to that as well. And it got drowned out by a load of spam. More of that spam. Um, bet history stuff. Um, as insightful as ever, always worth a listen, and helped me immensely with my own betting. Again, thanks for that. Again, you'll never find that because of all the sadly all of the stupid spam um why does tom seem to have so many haters trolls online even in these comments he's getting grilled any reason yeah i think there is a reason um i don't know who they are i suspect a lot of them are the same people that have been doing it for a long time you have money doesn't change people it unmasks them and you have some people perhaps that either were in one of two camps they either came to bookie bashing and experienced a uh, period of variance and lost some money and then sought to blame me and then cancelled and have held perhaps a notion that we are not as we are not successful because their experience was that we weren't successful just forget about the community we currently have in the independent reviews they had a series of bets that lost and therefore they think that we lost. And, and they think they feel the need to attack us before that either that or um We've had some people definitely in the past, but more so when we used to charge a token amount of £10 a month. And they said, um, "Um, you've got to close the doors. You've got to stop people coming in. Um, You've got to give this information to us, but not to other people. And we would always say we were, were not going to do that. And they would get very angry because they would want this pie, the largest slice of the pie for themselves. And um, I suspect a lot of the people over time that we've blocked on various platforms that give us shit, and we have no control over the star sports interviews, they come along, and because they got angry that the edge either disappeared, or they had to share a bit of the edge with other people, and we didn't just share it with them, then they feel the necessity to bring us down, I think. So I think that's why we have so many haters, trolls. Also, I think a lot of it might just be the same person on loads of different accounts, you know what I mean? So um that was generally the feedback. There's a little bit to learn there. Most of it is the Um, people are idiots generally and negative um and if you can focus on the good things um and really like i think something that i learned over the summer is just like focus on the stuff that affects you and the people around you and really just try and spend your time improving that close circle and if you can do that then the rest of the stuff that exists outside of the circle at least it shouldn't matter it doesn't mean that it's not going to matter it doesn't affect you or anything like that but that was really that was all important to me it sounds a bit stupid what do you want to do when you grow up be happy but kind of if you sort of break that down that really is all there is definitely more so than some accountancy course or being a fanny better whatever it is that you're doing this weekend if you want to pay you're probably not better on football or golf or horse racing if you want to pay your respects to Her Majesty, you do you. If you don't want to pay your respects to Her Majesty, you do you. Um, but I'm going to back a little bit more content. It is. That is. We'll be get all this